he leaned back and waited for Mr. Stoner to realise that he did, in fact, have the power of speech. When he did so, the clerk dealt with his situation in a true clerkly fashion by ignoring it. Nevertheless, Mr. Vimes, you are out of your jurisdiction and, I may say, encouraging Constable Upshot in ways of thinking and, I might say, behaviour that will bode ill for him in his career. The clerk got no further than that because Vimes interrupted with, What career? He has no career. He's a copper all by himself, except maybe for some pigs. He's a good lad at heart, doesn't scare easy, and he writes with a clear round hand and can spell too, which in my book makes him automatically sergeant material. As for bloody jurisdiction, murder is the crime of crimes. According to the Omnians, it was the third crime ever committed, the first two being common theft and public indecency. I know of no society anywhere in the world that doesn't consider it a crime to be pursued with vigour. Understand? And as for the law, don't try to talk to me about the law. I am not above the law, but I stand right underneath it and I hold it up. And currently, I work with Mr. Feeney and we have an accessory to murder in his cell and justice, not convenience, will be served. Well done, Sam, said Sybil loyally, giving the small but distinctive clap that people give when they want other people to join in. Mr. Stoner, on the other hand, simply said, well done, sir, but nevertheless my instructions are to arrest you. The magistrates have sworn me in as a policeman, you see, and young Upshot has been relieved of his duties. He winced because of the sudden freeze. Vimes stood up and said, I don't think I'm going to allow you to arrest me today, Mr. Stoner. I dare say Sybil will allow you a cup of tea, should you want it, but I'm going to see Chief Constable Upshot. And he stood up, unlocked the door, and walked out of the room out of the hall, and, at a reasonable speed, down to the lock-up. Halfway down, Willikins overtook him, saying, I couldn't help hearing all that garbage, Commander, on account of how I was listening at the door, as per Section 5 of the Gentleman's Gentleman's Code. What a nerve! You'll need me to watch your back. Vimes shook his head. I don't think a civilian should get involved, Willikins. Willikins had to run faster because Vimes was speeding up, but he managed to gasp out, That is a hell of a thing for you to say to me, Commander, and hurried on regardless. Something was going on at the lock-up. It looked to Vimes as though it might be a domestic disturbance, a ruckus, possibly a fracas, or even a free-for-all, in which case it was definitely unlucky for some. A happy thought occurred— Yes, maybe it was an affray, always a useful word, because nobody is quite certain what it means, but it sounds dangerous. Vimes burst out laughing as soon as he saw what was going on. Feeney was standing in front of the lock-up, his face beetroot red and his ancestral truncheon in his hands. Quite possibly it had already been used on the small mob trying to assault the lock-up, because there was a man lying on the floor clutching his groin and groaning. However, Vimes's lengthy experience told him that the man's carefully targeted misfortune had a lot to do with Mrs. Upshot, who was in a semicircle of men, all of them ready to jump back as soon as she waved her broomstick at them. "'Don't you dare say my lad Feeney ain't a copper. He is a copper, and so was his dad, and his granddad, and his great-granddad before him.' She paused for a moment and went on grudgingly. "'Pardon me, I tell a lie. He was a criminal. But anyway, that's nearly like being a copper.' The broomstick made a whooshing sound as she swung it backwards and forwards. I know you lot. Some of you is gamekeepers, and some of you is smugglers, and a few of you is bastards, excuse my clatching. 
By now she had caught sight of Vimes, and pausing only to bring her broomstick down like a mallet on the foot of a man who made a step in the wrong direction, she pointed her finger at Vimes and yelled, "'See him! Now he is a gentleman, and also a great copper. You can tell a real copper, like my Henry, God's bless his soul, and Commander Vimes too, because they've got proper badges, what have been used to open thousands of beer bottles, I dare say, and believe me, one of them would hurt you if they tried to stick it up your nose.' The flimsy bits of cardboard you boys is waving makes me laugh. Come any further, Davy Hackett, she said to the nearest man, and I will shove this broomstick in your ear. Trust me, I will. Vimes scanned the mob, trying to sort out the vile and dangerous from the innocent and stupid, and was about to brush off a fly from his head when he heard the gasp from the crowd, and saw the arrow on the cobbles and Mrs. Upshot looking at her broom falling into two pieces. In theory, Mrs. Upshot should have screamed, but she had been around coppers for a long time, and so, face red, she pointed at the broken broom and said, as only an old mum could say, "'That cost half a dollar. They don't grow on trees, you know. It wants paying for.' Instantly there was the jingle of frantic hands in pockets. One man with great presence of mind removed his hat and coins showered into it. Since many of the coins were dollars and half-dollars snatched in haste, Mrs. Upshot would clearly be self-sufficient in broomsticks for life. But Feeney, who had been simmering, smacked the hat to the ground just as it was proffered. "'No, that's like a bribe, Mar. Someone shot at you. I saw the arrow. It came straight out of this lot, right out the middle. Now, I want you to go inside, Mar, because I'm not going to lose you as well as Dad, understand? Damn well get inside the house, Mar. The reason being, the moment you shut the door, I intend to show these gentlemen their manners.' Feeney was on fire. If a chestnut had fallen on his head, it would have exploded— and his rage, pure, righteous rage, the kind of rage in which a man might find the idea and the inclination, and above all the stamina, to beat to death everyone around him, was a pant-witting concern to the befuddled citizens quite outweighing the secondary one, which was that there was at least six dollars of anybody's money lying there on the cobbles, and how much of it could they get away with reclaiming? Vimes did not say a word. There was no room to say a word. A word might dislodge the brake that held retribution in check. Feeney's ancestral club over his shoulder looked like a warning from the gods. In his hands it would be sudden death. No one dared run. Of a certainty, to run would be to make yourself a candidate for whistling oak and crushing. Now perhaps was the time. Chief Constable Upshot, may I have a word as one policeman to another? Feeney turned on Vimes a bleary look, like a man trying to focus from the other end of the universe. One of the outlying men took this as a cue to leg it and behind the crowd there was a thump, and the voice of Willikin saying, "'Oh, I do beg your pardon, Your Grace, but this gentleman stumbled over my feet. Regrettably, I have very large feet.' And, to accompany the apology, Willikins held up a man whose nose would probably look a lot better by the end of next week. All eyes turned to Willikins except those of Vimes, because there in the shadows, keeping his distance from the mob, was that bloody lawyer again. Not with the mob, obviously. A respectable lawyer could not be part of a mob. Oh, no. He was just there, watching. Feeney glared at the rest of the men, because tripping can come so easily to a man. I appreciate your man's assistance, Commander, but this is my manner, if you know what I mean, and I will have my say. Feeney was panting heavily, but his gaze swept backwards and forwards to find the first man to move, or even look like someone about to move, sometime in the future. I am a policeman, not always a good one or a clever one, but I am a policeman, and the man in my lockup is my prisoner, and I'll defend him to the death. And if it's the death of some bastards who stood in front of my old mum with crossbows they didn't know how to use, well, so be it.
he lowered his voice to less than a scream. Now, I know you, just like my father did, and Grandad too. Well, some of you at least. And I know you ain't as bad as all that. He stopped for a moment, staring. What are you doing here, Mr. Stoner? Standing there next to a mob? Have you been making a few pockets jingle? That statement is actionable, young man, said Stoner. Vimes carefully made his way to Stoner and whispered, I won't say you're pushing your luck, Mr. Stoner, because your luck ran out the moment you set eyes on me. He tapped the side of his nose. A word to the wise. I've got big feet, too. Oblivious to this, Feeney went on. What I want you all to know is that a few nights ago a goblin girl up on the hill was chopped up while she was pleading for her life. That's bad. Very bad. And one reason is that a man who can chop up a goblin girl will chop up your sister one day. But I will help my... Feeney hesitated and then said, Colleague, Commander Vimes, and I will bring those responsible to justice. And that ain't all, oh dear me, not by a long shock, because you see, I know, just like you do, that three years ago a load of goblins were grabbed in the night and rounded up to be sent down the river. My poor old dad did what he was told and turned a blind eye, but I ain't doing the same thing. I don't know if any of you helped, and right now that don't concern me over much, because folks around here tend to do what they're told, although maybe some of them like doing what they're told more than others. Feeney turned around, making certain that they all knew they were included. And I know something else. I know that late yesterday, when we were actually on the way to Hangnails, a bunch of goblins from Overhang were grabbed and put on an ox boat down the river to... What? Why haven't you told me all this before? Vime shouted. Feeney didn't look in his direction, keeping his gaze on the mob. What before? Sorry, Commander, but it's been all go and I only found out just before this bunch arrived, since when it's all got busy. The boat probably came past here while we were still opening barrels in hangnails. This lot wanted me to hand over my, your, our prisoner, and then, of course, my old mum got involved, as it were, and you know it's always difficult when it involves an old mum. I never told anyone to move, did I? This was to a man in some distress, who was almost bent double with his hands on his groin. I'm very sorry, uh, Feeney, uh, const uh, Chief Constable Upshot, but I really need the privy, if it's all the same to you, please, thanking you so very much. Vimes looked down at the crouching man and said, Oh, dear me, it's you, Mr. Stoner. Willikins, do take him somewhere where he can go about his business, will you? But be sure to bring him back here. And if it turns out that he didn't really need to do any business, do him the courtesy of making sure that he does. He wanted to say a great deal more at this time, but this was, after all, Feeney's patch, and the lad was surprisingly good at it when it came to pushing people who pushed old mums. And the boy hadn't finished yet. His mood had simply moved from molten steel to cold, hard iron. Before I tell you what happens next, gentlemen, I'd like to draw your attention to the goblin sitting up there in the tree watching you all. All you who are locals know Stinky, and you know sometimes you can give him a kick, or sometimes he blags a cigarette off you, and sometimes he runs you a little errand, yes? There was a sense of sweating relief among the crowd that the worst appeared to be over. In fact, it had only just begun. Commander Vimes would like you to know, and so indeed would I, that the law applies to everybody, and that means it applies to goblins as well. There was a certain amount of nodding at that, and Feeney continued. But if the law applies to goblins, then goblins have rights, and if goblins have rights, then it would be right to have a goblin policeman attached to the Shire Force. Vimes looked at Feeney with amazement and a not inconsiderable amount of admiration.
That had got them. They had all been nodding, and he had led them by the nod, and before they knew it they were nodding at a goblin officer. Well, gentlemen, I'm intending to make Stinky a probationary special constable, just so he can keep me up to date with what's happening on the hill. He'll have a badge, and anyone giving him a kick from now on will be assaulting a police officer in the course of his duty. I think the penalty for doing that is not just being hanged, but also to let you bounce up and down from it afterwards. This is an internal force decision which does not require the authority of any magistrate. Is that not so, Commander Vimes? Vimes was amazed at how his mouth responded without any reference to his brain. Yes, Chief Constable Upshot, as per Section 12, Part 3 of the Laws and Ordinances of Ankh-Morpork, generally considered a model for police procedure. He added confidently, knowing that no one present would ever have clapped eyes on them and would quite likely not be able to read them even if they had. Inside, Vimes winced. He'd got away with having dwarfs, trolls, and finally even werewolves and vampires in the watch, albeit on certain obvious conditions, but that had been the result of leverage over the years. Vetinari always said, what is normal? Normal is yesterday and last week and last month taken together. And Vimes supposed they had slipped things in one at a time to allow normal to gradually evolve although Mr. Stinky, or rather Probationary Special Constable Stinky, had really better confine his policing activities to the cave. Yes, not such a bad idea at that. Indeed, if only he could get them to leave chickens alone, maybe Normal would have a chance. After all, people seemed quite easy about having their rights and liberties taken away by those they looked up to, but somehow a space on the perch was a slap in the face and treated as such. And now Feeney, getting out of breath, was nearly talked out. I can't force any of you to tell me anything, but is there any one of you anxious to help me with my inquiries? Vimes tried not to let anyone see his expression, least of all Feeney. Of course, Captain Carrot had once been like that, and was it possible maybe even young Sam Vimes had been like that too? But surely anyone could see that you never expect people who are part of a crowd to put up their hand and pipe up, Yes, Constable, I'd be very happy to tell you everything I know, and I'd like these fine gentlemen here to be my witnesses. What you did do, after a performance like that, was just wait. Wait until somebody sidles up and whispers something when you're alone, or just tilts his head in the right direction, or, and this had happened to Vimes, writes three initials on the spilled beer on a bar top, and industriously wipes it clean within two seconds. Some bright spark would think, you never know your luck. After all, Feeney could be a coming man, right? And a happy relationship might come in handy one day. Vimes blew away the pink cloud of embarrassment. Well, gentlemen, speaking as commander of the Ankh-Morpork City Watch, it seems to me that your senior police officer is being considerably lenient with you. I would not be so be grateful for him. How many of these, and here Vimes inserted a sneer, gentlemen do you really know, Chief Constable Upshot? Oh, about half of them, Commander. That's to say their names, families, home addresses and similar. The rest of them are from other places. I can't say that they're all angels, but they're mostly not too bad. This sensible little speech, in the circumstances, earned Feeney a few smirks and a certain relieved look all round, and happily an opening for Vimes, who said, So which one of them had an arrow ready in his crossbow, do you think, Mr. Feeney? But before Feeney had time to open his mouth, Vimes had spun round to confront the returning Mr. Stoner, whose digestion had let him down. Willikins, whose instincts seldom failed, was still keeping an eye on him. Loudly and cheerfully, Vimes said, I see that my good friend Mr. Stoner is back, and he's a lawyer and I'm a policeman, and we know how to talk to one another. Do come this way, Mr. Stoner. 
he grabbed the unwilling lawyer gently but firmly by the arm and led him some way from the crowd, who watched, Vimes was pleased to see, with immediate deep suspicion. "'You are a lawyer, are you not, Mr. Stoner? Not a criminal lawyer by any chance?' "'No, Your Grace, I specialise mostly in land and property matters.' "'Are far less dangerous,' said Vimes. "'And I suppose you're a member of the Ankh Morpork Bar, "'presided over by my old chum, Mr. Slant.' He said it convivially, but Vimes knew that the name of the old zombie would strike terror into any lawyer's heart, although whether Mr. Slant still had one of his own was questionable. And now Mr. Stoner must be thinking quite quickly— if he had any sense, and read his law journal between the lines, he would be aware that while Mr. Slant would bow, rather stiffly, to the rich and influential, he did not like mistakes, and he did not like seeing the law being brought into disrepute by inept lawyers and laymen, believing that this particular duty should be left to senior lawyers, such as Mr. Slant, who could do it with care and panache, and three hundred Ankh-Morpork dollars an hour. And Mr. Stoner should be thinking that, since it appeared that landowners around here had made up the law to suit themselves, which was the prerogative of the legal profession as a whole, Mr. Slant would not be a happy zombie. And, as custom and practice now dictated that he should no longer walk around groaning with his hands held out directly in front of him, one of them perhaps holding a severed head for effect, he was known to vent his still considerable spleen on snotty young lawyers with ideas above their station by talking to them for some time in a calm, low voice, causing them to say afterwards that the severed head was, by contrast, the vegetarian option.